0: Back in the season of Lent, we each Sunday tackled one of the parables of Jesus. I missed one Sunday in Lent, and so today we're going to pick up a parable from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 20, beginning at verse 1. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, and verse 1. Hear the word of God. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When the landowner went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And when he went out again about noon and about three, he did the same, and about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But the landowner replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, Jesus said, and the first will be last. This is the word of the God, word of God. Thanks be to God. Talk about a surprise ending. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his manager to gather all the day labor so they could get paid, beginning with the last and then go to the first, he said. It all would have been fine if he paid them in the right order. If all the day workers, if the all day workers were paid first, they never would have known how much the owner gave to the end of the day folks but he intentionally messed up the line. And when the people who were hired at 5 o'clock stepped up and were given a full day's pay, everyone else saw it. The workers at the end of the line, the 10, 12-hour-a-day folks, at the end of the line, they saw how much was being paid. At the end of the line, when it was their turn, of course they expected to be paid more. They figured something had changed that day. Maybe the market price spiked or the minimum wage went up or the job was finished and it was harvest, a harvest time bonus. Whatever happened, the all day long laborers still expected the owner to pay them what was right and just and fair, which would of course be more than the last minute workers who barely broke a sweat. But no, when it was their turn, When those at the end of the line who just watched everyone else get paid finally stood before the manager, they received the same amount. A day's wage, no more, no less. And in an understatement of biblical proportion, Jesus, the parable teller, said they grumbled against the landowner. Grumbled. Can you imagine? We've been out here all day long, busting our butts for you in the heat of the day, and these Johnny-come-lately entitled, coddled, like to sleep in, don't want to get their hands dirty. Millennial workers show up when the sun's going down, and you pay them the same thing you paid us? Grumbling wouldn't begin to describe it, really. The owner of the vineyard turned to one of them, one of the grumblers, and said, you know, this isn't about you. It doesn't always have to be about you. It isn't just about you. Well, in the parable, what he actually said was, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last the same as I gave you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I'm generous? Envious of generosity? It was generosity that messed everything up. Right at the end, with the parable now finished, Jesus said, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. It's what Jesus said right before this parable in Matthew, at the end of the 19th chapter, many who are first will be last and the last will be first, Jesus said. Jesus frames the parable right before, right after, the last will be first, the first will be last. That's messed up. That's how the line was messed up. First, last, last, first. It's such a familiar phrase, the first, last, the last first, it has that familiar Bible sound to it as if Jesus said it all the time. Surprisingly, in Matthew's Gospel, it is only here, first, last, last, first. Before and after the parable, Matthew's Jesus only said it twice, both right here. So the last will be first and the first will be last. It's much more than a description of the parable's payroll line. It's more than a verse to quote in your head when a new line opens at the grocery store and you suddenly find yourself moving from last to first. The last will be first and the first will be last. Here in Matthew, it's not even a takeaway about Jesus' teaching on leadership and servanthood. Whoever wants to be the first among you must be last of all and servant of all. That's actually Mark. The first and the last in Matthew, it's all wrapped around this parable with the messed up payroll line and the owner's disruptive generosity. The laborers in the vineyard That's what the tradition calls it. Whoever in the tradition gets to title and name and label parables should not be allowed to call it the laborers in the vineyard because the parable isn't really about the laborers in the vineyard. It's about the owner and his generosity. Sort of the whole point of the parable is that it is not about them, it's about his disruptive generosity. It's the parable of disruptive generosity. Jesus finishes the parable and turns to the disciples, to the church, to you and me, and says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. It is Jesus' exclamation point on God's disruptive generosity, a lasting reminder about how that outrageous disruptive generosity messes things up, messes things up when it comes to our inflated sense of self and humankind's innate expectation about how the line is supposed to work. Messes things up when it comes to our inflated sense of self and humankind's innate expectation about how the line is supposed to work. God's generosity so completely baffles the world's way of doing things, thinking things, understanding things. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's Jesus. Shaking his head at the world sticking his finger in the world's chest standing toe-to-toe with the world and saying you have no idea The last time I preached a sermon on this parable of disruptive generosity I Told the congregation the story of a good friend of mine here in Princeton who sold his company in 2019 to a private equity firm The complex deal involved multiple layers with negotiations right to the last minute that almost broke off several times. And sometime before the deal was done, my friend, the owner, was sitting in a meeting with his senior leadership team, and he told them that once the transaction took place, once all the funds related to the sale were received, he wanted to give a monetary gift to every employee in the company. It was something like $1,500, maybe 2,000 for everyone, from the CFO to the head of HR to the truck driver, the warehouse staff, the custodians, everyone. He knew it had to go through payroll and and be taxed, so he wanted to gross up the gift so that the employees would pocket the intended amount of the gift. The executive team had trouble wrapping their head around this request. One kept using the word bonus. It's not a bonus, my friend said. It's a gift. Another suggested it should be an amount proportional to salary or hourly wage. No, it's the same for everyone. It's a gift. Some employees have been here longer, a lot longer, and we just hired someone last week. I know. The point is that it's the same for everyone, no matter what. The frustration of the senior staff kept rising and they wouldn't let it drop. And finally, my friend said, with some volume and authority, announcing the end of the conversation, look, if you want me to read the Gospel of Matthew to you right now, I will. It's a gift for everyone, the same for everyone. And he got up and slammed the door and left. Months after the sale after it went through and the gifts were given, one employee who'd been with the company several years with a relatively high salary in the executive suite filed a lawsuit about the gift because it wasn't fair. Update. Last fall, in October, my friend and I were on the golf course together, three years since the company was sold. Hey, I said, whatever happened to that person who filed the lawsuit over your gift? You won't believe it, he said. My lawyers told me to settle because it would cost too much in legal fees to keep going. The employee who still works for the company received tens of thousands of dollars. Because, of course, in the world we live, the world we live in, the first will be first. There are several conversations that every parent has to have at some point with their child. I will not presume to offer a list of those conversations, nor will I prioritize the list. You can use your own imagination, experience, memory, as well as I can. One of those inevitable conversations comes when you have to try to explain it to a four-year-old, 14-year-old, 24-year-old, 40-year-old, 80-year-old, after you hear them shout out in sadness, frustration, exhaustion, or grief, that it's just not fair. And at some point, somewhere, sometime, the parent, the friend, the partner, the boss, the pastor has to be honest and respond and say, you are so right. Life is not fair. When it comes to this morning's parable from the 20th chapter of Matthew, If Nassau's Lenten devotional groups, we had small groups all through Lent studying the parables that were taught in adult education and that I was preaching, we were preaching. And if the small group conversations are any indication, not many people around Nassau Church like this parable. Folks have a problem with this parable. We don't like this parable because the parable's messed up. God's disruptive generosity shatters any illusion you and I have about the promise of fair. There is little to nothing in the gospel about fairness. When it comes to the experience, the understanding, the proclamation of the generosity of God, how quickly the world creeps in, the world where first is first. Little defines the human condition more than the desire among the pious and the religious and the powerful and the wealthy to hoard the generosity of God. God can be generous to me, not, not to you. God can be generous, but only to people who look like me. God can be generous to Christians, but not to people of other faiths. God can, be, God for, can forgive this sinner, but not that one. And yes, like the day-long workers, many in the church grumble at God's disruptive generosity, God's unending forgiveness, God's embrace, God's welcome, God's grace, the boundary-shattering, death-conquering grace of God always reaches further than the people of God really want it to. It's disruptive, it's not fair, and it's messed up. It's graceful. Lee, messed up. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or are you envious because I am generous? I found myself inside a living parable last Wednesday afternoon in a meeting room in Louisville, Kentucky, full of Presbyterian clergy and elders from all around the country two governing boards of our national agencies of the Presbyterian Church USA were together to learn about each other's work and responsibilities and to get to know each other a bit. There were about 35 people in the room sitting at tables of three and four. And at one point, we were invited to do one of those dreaded team-building exercises. (laughs) The convener told us we were to build a structure made out of only newspaper and tape. And she pointed to a stack of newspapers and a rolls of tape there in the front of the room. We were challenged to build a newspaper bridge, big enough for a gallon jug of water to pass under, and strong enough to hold two hymn books on the top for 10 seconds. We were given eight minutes to plan, and 10 minutes to build. And once the building began, we would not be allowed to talk to each other. Those were the only directions and the only rules given. After the planning time, the leader invited us to begin the building process, at which point one person from one of the groups bolted to the table in the front of the room and took every single piece of newspaper, every roll of tape, and ran back to their table. As one group began to build with their hoarded resources, the rest of us were stunned, frustrated. Few were angry. To be fair, there was no rule expressed about not taking everything for your own group. I actually thought maybe it was a setup from the beginning and the convener was going to make a point about how many resources in the world are held by so very few. But the convener was just as stunned as everyone else. And she told me later she has led newspaper bridge building games with youth groups, in public high schools, and on retreats. And something like this had never, ever happened. One group taking everything. Yay, church leaders. (laughs) Group number one never apologized, but pointed to the lack of rules and admitted to being overly competitive. Their bridge did collapse under the weight of the hymn books. (laughs) So that was good. We didn't really debrief the experience. We didn't have to. The takeaway was obvious to elders and clergy alike. The takeaway was like a heavy stone pulling the whole room down. For in the world we live in, the church we serve, first is still, well... First, And somewhere in the kingdom of God, Jesus is shaking his head and saying to himself and to anyone who still listens to Jesus, they really have no idea.